Happy Wednesday, Women of Strength. Today we have a really special story for you from our new friend Jocelyn, who just learned way too much information about Megan and certain parts of her life, we would just say. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Jocelyn's story is a really good one. She, her first cesarean was in Germany. Her VBAC was in the United States. She's a military um, they have a military family, and so it's, I'm assuming, I did not verify this, but I'm assuming they were in military hospitals, maybe not the Germany one, not quite sure on that, but I'm sure she will tell you. But before we do that, Megan is going to very, very discreetly and not inserting any comments that are TMI, read the review of the <laughs> You guys, Jocelyn did learn a little bit. I'm a TMI person, but you are. Okay, <laughs> let's read Whitney Goats, her email or her uh, review from Apple Podcasts. Her title is amazing. It says, I've been wanting to write a review for a while, but wasn't sure what I could say that would explain how much the VBAC link has meant to me. I had an unplanned C-section with my first and for the longest time, I felt broken and defeated. Hmm. When I heard Julie and Megan share their VBAC stories on the podcast, I cried. It was the first time that I felt understood and like I was not alone. Listening to their podcast has lifted my spirits, healed my emotional scars from my previous birth, and given me confidence in myself and my body again. I am now 28 weeks pregnant and preparing for my VBAC. Instead of being scared for this upcoming birth, I feel excited. Something I never thought would happen. Thank you, Julie and Megan, for your work that you have done connecting and educating all of these amazing moms. And thank you for reminding me that I am a woman of strength, even when I doubted myself. Oh that my just gave me the chills. I love that review so much. That, oh my gosh, that's like, that just fills my heart with happiness. I, Whitney Goats. Okay, so October 29th. She, yeah, she should so, have her baby right now. So I'm looking in our community, actually. Are I'm you? I'm going to look up the, in the VBAC link community because I want to know. <laughs> I want to know. Uh, okay, let's see. Let's search right now. She shared. That, that really was an amazing review, and that gave yes. me chills reading it. I felt the emotion reading it. Yeah, I did too, and you read it very well. Okay, I see some comments from her. Oh, but she never made an announcement. Let's see. March 6th. Sometimes I don't. Oh, she was... Wait, hold on. I'm seeing. I just had my VBAC three weeks ago. Ah! 12... Okay, so this was 12 weeks ago. So I just had my VBAC three weeks ago, completely unmedicated. I went to spontaneous labor at 41 on the dot, so 41 plus zero, and I dilated to a 10 in less than five hours of labor. Aww. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad she had her name on Apple Podcasts so that we could stalk her on Facebook. I know. <laughs> oh, That's congratulations, so Whitney. Thanks for the great review, and congratulations on your baby. <laughs> you are tuned in to the VBAC Link Podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. Hey listeners, today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed therapist. It's a great way to connect in a safe and private environment. I so wish that I had someone to talk to all of those weeks leading up to my birth when I was experiencing the anxieties and fears and trauma from my last birth. For Julie, it took her months to get into a counselor in her postpartum period. With BetterHelp, you can start connecting in under 24 hours. Send a message to your counselor anytime and you'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly phone or video sessions. They help with anxiety, sleeping, trauma, relationships, self-esteem, anger, family conflicts, depression, 
you name it. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting an additional counselors in 50 states. They are giving you 10% off for your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash feedback. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash feedback. Join over 1 million people taking charge in their mental health. All right. Jocelyn is really, really fun. We just sat on our uh, Zoom videos laughing at Megan's elbows, and that is going to be a secret kept between the three of us, but <laughs> just know there's an inside joke there. <laughs> um, Jocelyn is 25 years old. She's got two daughters, um, aged two years old and three months. Uh, she graduated from the University of Maryland Global Campus last May with my bachelor's in psychology and currently work from home as an ESL teacher. So English as a second language, I'm assuming. My husband is active duty Air Force, and we are currently stationed in southern New Mexico. Do you know what's so funny? Um, so I was in the Army, and I, I, we talked about it in a couple episodes along the way, but we, you know how all the services, they make fun of each of the other services, right? So, oh, like, yeah. so in the Army, we would do the same, you know? But like, I almost read Air Force as Chair Force. Like, it almost automatically yep. came out of my mouth. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? Oh my god! It is funny. My husband—he actually works on the jets, the fighter jets. He's oh, like, uh, nice. So he actually gets sturdy, and so the jobs that are like harder than others, they work like thirteen, fourteen-hour shifts. Where yeah. other people do have desk jobs. There's plenty of desk jobs in the Air Force. They call them the noners. The noners. <laughs> yeah, the noners, like the it non. Yeah. <laughs> in the army, we call them fobbits. Like when you deploy, they stay on the fob, like on the base, yep. like in Iraq, fobbits. I was a fobbit, totally desk job, computer geek. That was my role. So I probably shouldn't say anything, but chair force, <laughs> it automatically just almost rolled oh, yeah. out. <laughs> Jocelyn, we want to hear your story. We want to hear your story. So why don't you go ahead and take it away from me before I keep talking more about Megan's Elbows, and um, just go ahead and, yeah, take it away. Okay, so I guess I'll start with my first pregnancy. I was 23. We had been living in Germany for, it was my husband and I's first duty station together. He was in Korea the year the years prior, so. Yeah, I was in Korea. I yeah. was in Korea. Yeah, when I was he in like Korea? Uh, he was in Korea in 20, we got married in 2015. So he was in Korea 2014 to 2015. Oh yeah, I was there from 06 to 08, so like way long. Oh, after. okay. Anyway. Yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. <laughs> um, yeah, so he was in Korea for that year. We got married halfway through. Uh, we had been together since high school though. I was 16 and he was 19 when we met. And I got married when I was 19, almost 20. So super young, just babies. Mm -hmm. And he was in Korea. He had a follow-on of Spingdalem, which is in rural southwest Germany. It's about an hour and a half uh, north of Ramstein, I believe. Ramstein is very common. Most people know what Ramstein Air Base is. It's like mm -hmm. the largest army uh, air, air base over there. And yeah, we just, we were traveling, just basically living the newlywed dream in Germany. It was in the perfect place to travel, just right smack in the center of Europe. And we decided two years into it that we were wanting to grow our family. So we talked about having babies and then we were, we got pregnant like really quickly after that. So basically both babies, because I do have two babies, we talked about them, and the month that we decided that we wanted them, we conceived them. So it's Lucky. obviously, yeah, super big blessing, super, super big blessing. We don't take it for granted at all. But my first pregnancy was super easy, I guess, in a sense that I had no complications other than the fact that she was breached, which is what led to my cesarean. But otherwise, I had like pretty normal morning sickness in the beginning. Didn't gain a lot of weight until 20 weeks. Didn't actually gain any weight until 20 weeks because I was pretty sick, but not nearly as sick as others. And so it was really easy for the most part. So the interesting thing about my first pregnancy was that it was in Germany in a German hospital with a German obstetrician. So because our base was so small, we didn't have like hospital mm. services we didn't have ob services on base so mm -hmm. we were sent off base to be seen and my sister that did awesome. that she had her first baby in germany in a german hospital yeah it's really it's really cool experience mm -hmm. um 
and it's kind of cool to relive <laughs> relive my first story because I still am just so in awe of the way that they do things there. It's just so different. Anyways, I was seen off base. I actually had a diagnostic laparoscopy for endometriosis the month prior by the same OB. Like it was kind of cool because I got referred to him off base because he was closest to my home. We actually lived in the city that that OB was in and it was a small city. Um, there were two like large-ish cities that weren't villages that Americans uh, took to and we were in like one of the larger cities. So he was there. He did a diagnostic laparoscopy in, on me in July because I was having tons of like unexplained pelvic pain, super heavy periods, all the endometriosis stuff, which the diagnostic laparoscopy kind of confirmed. And it was so weird. He said that he swears that it's, there's obviously no like science behind it, but that every time he does a diagnostic laparoscopy on someone, whether he like takes anything out or not, because he didn't even take anything out. Like he didn't like burn any lesions or anything like that. It was literally just a diagnosis for me. He says a lot of people come to him pregnant the month later. So it was just so crazy because I came to his office a month later pregnant. <laughs> that is and so funny. That is yeah, really funny. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, it's just like he said it's just like a very strange coincidence. I don't know if it's just like a, hey, hello, uterus, wake up. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, we're ready to have a baby in here. So I had the diagnostic laparoscopy. I was pregnant the month after and I was a little concerned. So I ended up going and seeing him pretty early on. I was only five like four or five weeks when I had my first sonogram and they could only see like a sack. I was just nervous because I had just had the surgery. It was pretty soon after to fall pregnant. So in Germany, an interesting thing I'd love to know is that they do sonograms. I don't know if it was because we were American and they just like loved American like insurance money, <laughs> but they did sonograms at every appointment. And I know that's super controversial because a lot of people just think that the exposure is not so great for the baby. And so uh, I brought, I actually brought that up to him like halfway through my pregnancy. And he said, I asked him why he gives so many sonograms, like one every single appointment. And he said that he believes the risk is low to non-existent uh, and that it's mostly for bonding between the mother and baby, which I could agree with. I was very bonded with her even before birth. It was really, really cool to see her every single time. I wasn't too concerned about the, the exposure to whatever the radiation, I guess. So I had a few sonograms early, early on. I basically watched her go from a sack, yeah, to like a full-on baby, which is really cool. Oh, that is like, sweet. Yeah, like, so it was really cool. And like, I literally went in days, because we were just concerned about the prior surgery. So he just wanted to kind of like monitor things in the beginning to make sure that it was in the uterus and all that good stuff. So yeah, I saw her heartbeat like literally the day it probably happened that she was, her heart started beating because I was only like five weeks, six days and her heart was beating. It was really insane. So it was really cool. I just love that. That is cool. Yeah. Super spoiled. <laughs> super spoiled over there with all the sonograms. So yeah, otherwise super easy, just kind of flying through each appointment Another interesting thing to note about the hospital that I went to, and I think German and European hospitals in general, is that mostly midwives attend births. My OB was basically the doctor that I was seeing. He was like my primary care or whatever. And then when you go into labor, a midwife attends your birth. Obviously, if it's uncomplicated and like a vaginal delivery, they will have a midwife attend your birth. So it was a small city and there were only a couple birthing rooms and stuff like that, but I got a tour at the end and it was just so natural. They're super natural minded over there, not super big on medication. They had like the walking epidural and an epidural and they had like narcotics and stuff you could choose from, but they were just so natural minded, especially with the midwife attending the birth and things like that. It was just, it was just natural. And I had always wanted a natural medical or I'm sorry, like medicine free birth, like a yeah, natural birth, because my mom gave birth to all seven of us, naturally, with no drugs. She's a wonder woman. And then my sisters had all given birth naturally, and they had a couple kids of their own, a couple of my older sisters. So I was really into it, and I knew that that was for me, because like it was like a family. It was a family affair. So I go in for each appointment, and it's so funny. I want to note that every single appointment that I went to, she was head up. So just keep that in mind because I got to see her literally every single time. So it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, I wonder if like they were breached at this point in my pregnancy. I knew she was breached my whole pregnancy. So at 13 weeks, he made a guess on the gender. Actually, I think it was as early as 11 and a half weeks. 
he made a guess on the gender just for fun. And he said 80% girl and she was head up and it was very hard to see like her little bits at 15 weeks when he confirmed that it was a girl because she was head up and he had to like kind of wiggle her around to see her bottom. So we did a gender reveal. I I trusted him. (laughs) I don't know why. 15 is pretty early still, but I did trust him enough to do a gender reveal. It was really fun. We had friends over and 20 weeks rolls around. We had our anatomy scan. Everything's looking great and wonderful. She's still breached. No big deal. 20 weeks is super early. Then 28 weeks rolls around and she's still breached. And I'm like, okay, well, I thought she'd be head down by now. I didn't know if it was normal or not, but he said not to be worried about it. And then 32 weeks rolls around. And this is when I'm like getting serious about like birth and like I'm ready to take my hospital tour. And I'm like, already the nursery's ready and she's still breech. And I was like starting to get really concerned because I had read on Google that babies usually take a head down position anywhere from 28 to 32 weeks. So I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm a little, she's a little late to the game, but whatever. She's got plenty of time still. So I did start looking into a birthing class with a doula who was at our airbase. She was a military wife. She's the best. And she was a wealth of knowledge for me. I wasn't actually planning on um, hiring a doula, but I ended up hiring her after taking her birthing class because my husband and I liked her so much. So we hired her and she was helping me through the whole last bit of my pregnancy, basically through my third trimester, just showing me like all sorts of positions that I could do. Like she introduced me to spinning babies. Um, She told me to go to the pool and do like somersaults and headstands and like all that stuff. We also tried moxibustion therapy at the hospital. The midwives did it. So I would call in if they weren't busy. That's cool. Yeah. Moxibustion at the hospital. That's awesome. Yes. (laughs) It was crazy. That's how natural they were. They were just like, yeah, we offer this. So it was really interesting. I think they even offered acupuncture, which I wasn't aware of till the end. And I didn't, I didn't actually look into it. But yeah, so they did moxibustion. Like every couple of days I would go in, like maybe two or three times a week for a couple of weeks, I was going in and getting moxibustion by a midwife, which is kind of funny. I would call them and see if they were busy. And if they weren't, you know, attending births, then they would be like, yeah, come on in and we'll do it. So we did that. She was super active, like during and after those types of things, but you know, no real big movements. Couldn't tell if she was moving down. And I knew she was breached because she was kicking me in the cervix all the time. So I knew she hadn't turned. I was hoping that it was her fists. Every time I would go to an appointment and see that she was still breached, I was just like very discouraged it's okay. It's okay. Whatever. Just hold on to hope. It's going to be fine. She'll turn. So 37 weeks rolls around and I go to a normal appointment and I'm having, they also do a lot of monitoring there, which I thought was strange because when I had my baby here, they did not monitor at all. I didn't have, I had like two ultrasounds and they didn't monitor at all. I don't know if that's normal, but in Germany from 30 weeks on, they monitor every appointment. So bi-weekly, they would put you on the monitor and listen and get like a reading on the heart rate and uh, like movement and all that good stuff for a good half hour and then show it to the doctor. It was really interesting. But 37 weeks rolls around. I get my monitoring done and I go to my appointment and he does an ultrasound and she's still breech. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like we are almost there. And this girl is still head up. And I started to get really nervous. My doula was super encouraging and was like, babies move at like the very last minute, like don't stress. But I did make a decision to actually undergo an ECV, which I guess if no one, if uh, anyone is wondering what that is, it's the external, I don't know if I'm saying it right, cephalic or cephalic? Cephalic. Cephalic version. And uh, it's basically where they try to turn the baby from the outside on your stomach. So I decided to have that done. He actually doesn't do those. So that was kind of a red flag. He doesn't do those normally um he's not super comfortable with them but actually another (laughs) yes normally but another military wife that i was actually friends with because all of us from spangdalem saw this doctor either him or another doctor in another city over so most he had like mostly american patients and uh a military wife actually had a ECV done the year prior with her son. And so I reached out to her because I saw her talking about it on our Facebook page. And I was like, oh, like, so tell me how this went. She's like, yeah, he was like very 
insistent that he does not do them, but I made him. She's a New Yorker. <laughs> she was just like, I was very insistent that he at least try. <laughs> and I, she just really trusted him. And sure enough, he successfully turned her baby. So I was like, oh, that's awesome. And he even expressed that to me. He was like, I don't normally turn you know, babies, but I did have a couple successful ones in the last year. He hadn't done many though, which I should have really, I don't know. It's, there's a lot of risks with ECVs that I wasn't super aware of. I knew he told me like, you know, they can get distressed. There's this, this, and this that could happen. So you bring a bag in case you needed to have a C-section right then and there. So that was kind of scary, but I was so willing to do that because I was so willing to do anything for my natural birth. Right. So I was like, okay, the ECV sounds like a good option. I talked about it with my doula and she was super supportive. She was supportive of like everything. So we went in for the ECV and I remember they gave me a med, they did not give me an epidural, which I'd like to put a pin in that and come back to that later. Um, they didn't give me an epidural, which I guess is pretty normal for a stateside ECV or for us ECV done in states by most doctors, not sure. And they gave me this medication to relax my uterus and I think it was like an anti-seizure medication. I keep saying, I think, I think, I think, because I will note that the language barrier was pretty significant. My doctor spoke good English, but there were times where uh, there was definitely stuff lost, lost in translation. He was very mumbly. <laughs> he was just like a mumbly guy. So yeah, it was hard. We had a patient liaison officer on hand if we felt like we couldn't understand what our doctor was trying to get across to us. They were the translator, but we just didn't feel the need to call them at all times. So I thought I could understand him pretty well throughout and him telling me my risks and stuff. So anyways, they gave me this medication to relax my uterus and he came in from a surgery and I was laying there on the labor and delivery bed and he was like okay let's turn this baby so he starts to try and turn her and I just remember being really 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 tense like just tensing up my whole lower body like because it was so painful it's not a comfortable procedure by any means it's very uncomfortable oh yeah and it's very uncomfortable <laughs> yeah like not being numbed is obviously it's just painful so I was in a lot of pain while he was trying to turn her he had a couple of people there with him like uh probably an ultrasound technician and a midwife and they would check every couple seconds to see how her heart was doing her heart rate and if her head was up or to the side or where he had shifted her if he had at all and she was just fixed like they could he she would not budge and I could tell I could tell like a couple minutes in which felt like hours that she was just not moving and I remember he said, I don't like to try this for very long. So it was probably five or six minutes. And he was like, we're going to have to call it. Like she's, this baby is fixed. I remember vividly. That's what he said. This baby is fixed. That's all he said. So I just remember him leaving. He just apologized and he left the room and I just burst into tears. I was so devastated because I was so confident that this was going to work. I was like, okay, no big deal. I have to get the ECV. That kind of sucks. But like, this is going to work. This is it's going to be fine. And I told my doula in the weeks leading up, I was like, everything's going to be great. I'm going to have my natural birth. Cause I felt like if I spoke it into existence, it would happen kind of thing. So I just had a really hard time. I had to stay the night to be monitored. My husband and my doula just like held me while I cried. It was really sad, but I just, you know, like pulled up my bootstraps and I was like, okay, like they monitored her all night. It was funny, too, because she was thrashing, like, all night, kind of, like, pissed that we even moved her, <laughs> tried to move her. She was like, no, you tried to move that on my coffee She was comfortable. <laughs> yes. So, anyways, the next morning, I saw him in his office before they discharged me, and he was like, okay, let's schedule your cesarean. And he was like, what day do you want to have her? And I was like, this is so weird. I'm like picking my baby's birthday. And we joked about like Cinco de Mayo or May 4th or whatever. And he's like, I'm available on the 7th. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess the 7th it is. <laughs> and so yeah, we booked us, we booked a C-section for the morning of the 7th, which was about a week later at 39 weeks and two days, which now I know that that's silly. Probably should have given her more time, but coulda, shoulda, woulda. And I do remember in the weeks leading up to my ECV, I'd like to just backtrack a little. I did seek out a doctor who was comfortable with breech birth because my doctor was not comfortable with breech birth. He said that wasn't an option. And my doula had told me, she's like, you know, breech is just a variation of normal. It's a lost art, which I was surprised in such a natural type country that they, 
it was a lost art over there too because I know it's kind of a lost art here in the United States. So I had sought it out, but it was just very difficult to switch providers. It wasn't like, oh, I'm in an American hospital. I could switch providers in the next town over. It's just with the whole language barrier and just the added, you know, challenge of being in a different country, it was just really hard. So I played with the idea. A lot of people like my mom and a couple of other people close to me were kind of concerned with the fact that I wanted to give birth to a breech baby. So I just opted for the C-section. So on morning of her C-section, I went in, I was got my hair done <laughs> and it was curled and everything was really sweet. It was kind of weird not going into labor. I hoped and prayed I would go into spontaneous labor before then and maybe she would turn, you know, like during labor because I've heard stories of that as well. Or she would turn and then put me into labor from turning kind of thing because she was ready. She was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to turn now. But that just didn't happen. And the morning my C-section rolled around and I went in and it was super fine. Like it was just, I, I listened to very traumatic stories about C-sections and I can totally relate to the traumatic parts of your C-section because it's super unnatural. Like we're talking about this desire I had for natural birth and I just ended up being cut open. It's just, it's tra that's traumatic in and of itself. Birth is supposed to be like, you know, like a happy, natural, like beautiful experience. And I just feel like a cesarean, I felt like it couldn't be that with a cesarean, which is totally untrue. So it was, fine the surgery went great i had an umbilical hernia or a hernia i guess he pointed it out in a previous uh, appointment and he fixed that while i was under the knife already he's like oh i'll fix that for you when you have your c-section and that kind of bothered me because i was only like 36 weeks at the time and i was like no she's gonna turn but he ended up fixing my hernia so she was born at 8:50 in the morning and in germany so technically 12:50 mountain time a.m and she came out screaming. She was super healthy, plump and pink. And oh my gosh, just perfect. And I remember we didn't name her before she was born. We knew what we wanted to name her, but we were like all bent. We were like hell bent on waiting so that we were, could meet her and make sure that she looked like her name, <laughs> which was silly. But so I remember the anesthesiologist was like, what's her name? What's her name? And me and my husband looked at each other and we were like, Elizabeth, her name is Elizabeth. And it was so sweet. And it was just really magical despite being so unnatural, I guess, in my opinion. And they took her over and they checked on her and then they laid her on my face for a few seconds. I had a midwife next to me actually, which was interesting. I had a midwife on one side and then I had my husband and my doula on my left side. And a lot of people are like, aren't you bummed that you paid for a doula and you had a C-section? And I was like, no way. Like, <laughs> I could not have done that without my doula because they laid her on me for a few minutes and then they took her away. I wanted a supernatural, I called it like a natural cesarean where I asked them to delay cord clamping as long as possible. And I was hoping I could play music and essential oils and all that. They okayed some of it. Some of it, they were like, you know, it's up to the anesthesiologist and he wasn't comfortable with music and stuff. So, you know. But otherwise, it was, it was fine. It was nice. And then they laid her on me. It was super sweet. I wish, uh, I wish I could have had her on my face for so much longer. But it was probably like two or three minutes, honestly. Then they sent her up to L&D with my husband to do skin to skin, which I'm so glad that they had that bond first. I mean, obviously, I'm so heartbroken that I like missed out on that skin to skin with my baby because that's like one of the biggest hurts of a C-section for a lot of moms. They just miss out on that bonding, you know, that golden hour. They take that hour away from you because you're being stitched up and you're in recovery for that first hour. So it's just so hard. And my doula was next to me. And I remember when they were repairing my hernia, I was so grateful that she was there because my doctor had advised me beforehand that he's going to touch some membranes that will like kind of like trigger my body to have this reflex to vomit, I guess. So oh. I remember, yeah, because it was like, I guess it was part of the hernia repair. He did mention that in a in a previous appointment. So I remember turning my head and being like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel like, and I'm not a puker. And I was like, oh, I feel like I'm going to throw up. And so I turned my head towards her and she like got me a little bowl or whatever. And I just dry heaved for like five straight minutes, probably maybe longer. Oh, Aww. it was so awful. Yeah. Just like being numb and like dry, trying to throw up when you're like numb from the chest down. is just awful. So it was, she was just stroking my hair and she like had rubbed essential oils around my pillow and she was just so, she was such an angel. 
so I'm super glad I had a doula. I don't care if it was a C-section and she wasn't coaching me. And she was, she was, you know, like a comfort for me because I would have been alone without her. I wouldn't have had anyone there next to me. So it was great to have her. Um, my C-section experience, like I said, was totally normal and it was, it was, everything went well, but I will say it's, it's scary. Like everyone talks, all the ladies on this podcast talk about the shaking that no one talks about from the drugs. You start to shake uncontrollably and especially after in recovery. And I remember freaking out towards the end of my surgery because I was there for a while longer because of the hernia repair. So I was there for probably 30 or 40 minutes. She was born right away. And then I was still under the knife for a while. So just started to get really weird. And I started to freak out a little bit towards the end, get, I was just heavy in my chest and, you know, it was, I was strapped down and I didn't know that you could request not to be strapped down and stuff like that. So it was just hard. They rolled me into a recovery. I remember just sitting there like dying to like meet my baby pretty much. I was just like, okay, like I feel better. Get me out of here. <laughs> like roll me upstairs. I'm ready. <laughs> and they were just, uh, they rolled me up there and we did skin to skin right away. She like, I breastfed her right away and she was super ambitious at breastfeeding initially. And she did great her whole 13 months that she breastfed she was such a good little eater and so that was amazing and that did not get hindered at all which was great but I do feel like my postpartum depression and my postpartum anxiety was largely due to the fact that I don't know there just was no hormonal normal hormonal process that happened I guess when I got her taken out of me because I just feel like they took her out of me you know she wasn't really like like these are just feelings I had about my first birth that she wasn't really like, I didn't really give birth to her. And I know a lot of other moms really struggle with that. With yeah. Cesarean. I can and, relate to that too. It's yeah, so like I, that I gave birth to my first. I'm just like, yeah, like look him out of me. <laughs> yes. Like I just feel like they pulled her out of me. So it's, it's just odd. And I feel like a lot of my anxiety and my depression was a result of, I don't know. I've, I'm sure that like certain hormones are disrupted in that process. So because fast forward to my most recent birth is totally different bonding experience with her totally different and super awesome so yeah uh, fast forward 13 months later I decided I wanted babies close together and so I knew that 18 months from birth to birth was safe considered safe between cesareans so I are a cesarean in the next pregnancy or the next birth. So I told my husband, I'm like, we're already in the trenches. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just do it again. And he was like, okay, you're right. Like, let's just get the baby phase over with, not over with, but you know what I mean? Like, let's do it all at once. So the month that we decided to try and get pregnant, we got pregnant. <laughs> he actually went on a three week TDY after and I could not hold it in that long. So I like had to FaceTime him and tell him with my daughter and my dog, it was just a cute little thing that I did for him. And Oh, he was super, sweet. yeah, it was funny. I think the the thing, the only thing he said was, you are so fertile. <laughs> That's like what came out of his mouth when I told him <laughs> that we were pregnant again. <laughs> I got That's it on funny. He was just like, I was like, yeah. He's like, you're pregnant? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you are so fertile. Gotta <laughs> <laughs> be so careful with forever. that. <laughs> I, know, right? I know. And it's funny because we always talked about how we only wanted to. And I was like, never say never. Because, <laughs> you know. So uh, I got pregnant last May. I found out at the end of May. And that pregnancy was, I don't know, harder in some ways than my first, but also easier in other ways. I was much more active with my second baby and walked a lot listening to the podcast <laughs> with my toddler. And uh, she kept me busy, obviously. And yeah, I was just, I was a lot sicker the second time around, just for longer I had really horrid migraines that I actually had to get on prescription medication for but I hated taking it because I felt bad because it was like a classy drug just yep I, I can I, relate to yeah. that too <laughs> oh my gosh they're awful and it's like I was so so this was a surprise gender baby our second and it was a girl it's a girl it is a girl <laughs> and she I was convinced she was a boy because I was just like trying to pick all these differences out from my pregnancies and like, oh, I have such bad migraines with this baby. Like, it's got to be a boy. So, yeah, but I, it was rough there for like the first 28 weeks. And then my third trimester was like the best. I loved it. She was head down from like 20 weeks on and because I had gotten an anatomy scan at 20 weeks or 24 weeks on and at 24 weeks, she was nice and head down and she was still head down like at 30 plus weeks every time they he would check with like a little handheld 
like a little handheld ultrasound. Doppler? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah kind of like, it's, yeah, yeah. But it was like, had a little screen. It was like a yeah, very yeah. low quality. But just to check if her head was down and stuff like that. So I had this Canadian doctor. <laughs> he's so awesome. I'd love to give him a shout out because he is actually back in Canada. I believe he's in Ontario. And he... There are so many <laughs> connections to Ontario right now. Like with this... Are there really? In my family. Like seriously, you have no idea. It's so funny. Oh Anyways, gosh, go, go on. You're Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> the Canadian doctors. Super. Okay. So we moved to... In November of last year, about six months before I got pregnant with my second baby, we moved to a new base. We moved from Germany to New Mexico. I actually grew up in New Mexico. I grew up in the Albuquerque area. And we lived down south just in the southern part of the state at an airbase down here. So it's a very rural area. And I was kind of worried about that because I know that VBAC's still not very widely accepted by all doctors and hospitals. And some hospitals have policies against it. And I don't know. It's just, I don't know. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So I was kind of concerned about the rural area. I was willing to drive to a town nearby or a city nearby about an hour from here or even El Paso, which is about an hour, hour and a half from us. I was willing to drive there uh, if it wasn't going to work out here. But luckily, right in our little city, we had a very VBAC supportive doctor. His name is Dr. Dylan. He's in, he's back in Canada now. He, he missed it too much. He had to go back. I was actually one of his last births, if not his last birth that he had here in New Mexico. And I, I had done all my research about VBAC. I knew VBACs existed before I got pregnant with my second, but it wasn't until I was pregnant with her until I really started researching it and like knowing all things VBAC and listening to this podcast, which was super helpful. And just like looking up a lot of different resources and joining the community and stuff like that. So I knew what signs, what questions to ask my doctor, and I knew if he was going to be tolerant or supportive. And I do remember the first doctor I saw, because it was a pra- I went to a practice with four doctors, right? Four OBs. And you could see all of them or one of them. You could pick one and say, I would just only want to be scheduled with this one, or you could see all four of them your whole pregnancy. Because really, whoever's on call is going to deliver you. So it's good to meet everyone at least once. So my first appointment was with this other doctor, and I vividly remember him being VBAC tolerant, if that, even if that even, because I remember telling him about my prior C-section, and he was like, oh, yeah, you have a 50% chance of a successful VBAC, and I was like, well, where, where did you get that number? Like, what? I don't understand. Yeah, because he's like, you never went in labor, and it was your first baby, so technically this is your first vaginal birth so that like docks you points basically and i was like okay yeah that's frustrating and because you weren't given a chance going to labor because they just scheduled a c-section and bring i know so early positional yes. issues actually increase your chances of having a c um a v-back because it wasn't related to like arrestive descent or di- uh, exactly. dilation or anything like that so that makes me mad exactly and he did mention that he's like well it's good that it wasn't because of like failure to progress or whatever that nasty saying is but he was just i don't know he was so humdrum about it and like oh okay well you want to be back okay we'll see kind of thing you know and so i went home super discouraged and i was like oh mad about it telling my husband and he was like i thought he was just very matter of fact it was hard to get my husband on board too he was totally supportive of me having a v-back but i think my husband's just the type that he's just like go with the flow kind of guy oh my gosh i wish i had his chill but i don't so um <laughs> i can relate yeah. to that too <laughs> <laughs> so he was just i don't know i just felt like he was just tolerant and i just found out that he wasn't supportive at all and so i saw I actually got really sick around five weeks pregnant and I saw Dr. Dylan first. Like my real first appointment was with that doctor who was very VBAC tolerant or unsupportive. And then, but I had previously come in for fluids and I saw Dr. Dylan briefly because he just wanted to check and make sure the baby was in my uterus. So he used the handheld thing again. And he was like, oh yeah, you're a great candidate for VBAC. Okay, well, see you next time. And then I had ended up seeing this other doctor because I was just doing my rounds and meeting all the doctors. So then I like immediately asked for Dylan again at my next appointment. After I saw, saw the other doctor, I was like, nope, I don't want to see anyone else. I just like had such a great connection with this doctor. Initially, I don't even want to meet the other ones because of my experience with the one that wasn't Dylan. <laughs> so I 
started seeing him every single appointment. He was so supportive the whole way through, just so natural minded. He's like, you're an amazing candidate. It was just due to her position. It wasn't anything to do with uh, the fact that you can't like progress or that you can't spontaneously go into labor or anything like that. So he was like, I think you're a great candidate. He even sat down with me and like calculated it with me. He was like, I don't really like these calculators, but if you want to see a percentage, this just means that you fall into this percentage of success. But he was like, but don't take that for, you know, like hard and true because you're an individual, right? You're unique. So that's yes, what. Yes, I like this guy. Yes, <laughs> I know. He was so, he was literally like a cheerleader from the beginning. He's like, no, you got this. And like we would talk about, I would bring up a C-section or I would say like, oh, like I did make, it was funny because I remember the day I went in my, for my last appointment with him and I was like, I made a birth plan. He's like, oh yeah, give it to my nurses and we'll make a copy. And I was like, and I also made a backup C-section birth plan. And he was like, oh, we won't need that. Like, he was just so supportive. Mm. And, um, yeah, so it was great. So I saw him my whole pregnancy, and he was so laid back. He would, like, go three, four weeks without seeing me, six weeks without seeing me. He just was like, you're super healthy. Everything looks great. Like, just relax. And if you need me, call me. But you can schedule me in six weeks. Like, he was just, he didn't even feel like I needed to see him very often. So he was super hands-off, like, in that way. And uh, he was also traveling a lot back and forth to Canada, and I could tell that he's got very attached to his patients because he would try and schedule me, like, in between his trips, too, because he was, like, doing interviews and stuff out there, I suppose. And so I, towards the end of my pregnancy, everything looked great. The anatomy scan, she was head down and stuff like that from, like, 20 weeks on. It was so awesome. I just felt so good because I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm, like, not broken. Like, I can make... I can help a baby come out head down. Like not all my babies are grown head up, I guess. Cause I worried about my second being breached too. I just felt like it might be a pelvic issue or something, which a lot of, not a lot, but both doctors, my OB never told me the true reason. Cause actually it was beneficial, but kind of annoying that he said this, but my German OB told me that there was literally nothing preventing her from turning because once I had the spinal block in place for my C-section, he easily could have turned her. He said, "What?" and so that, yes. So why didn't he? Yeah. So why exactly. didn't he? No, he told me this after <laughs> oh. he performed the surgery. probably oh. because it made him more money, but whatever, like I said, it was still beneficial to hear about that because I had told my current OB that, and he was like, great, now we know that you, we, the baby can move freely and it's not like a pelvic issue or whatever he suggested it might be. And I was like, okay, whatever, like I'm, I'm just moving forward. So, okay, so let's see. Whenever I got to the end of my pregnancy, I saw him like every two weeks, didn't even see him weekly at the end. I saw him at 39 weeks and we were all set for spontaneous labor. He was super looking forward to me going into spontaneous labor. He's like, that's your ticket to success. Like, we're not going to push this at all. We're not going to talk induction. And he never scheduled me for a cesarean. I've heard so many women say like, oh yeah, 25 weeks or whatever. I got scheduled for my cesarean, even though I'm trying for a VBAC. And I was like, wait, why would you get scheduled for a cesarean if you're trying for a VBAC? And that's just like normal. Like doctors just schedule them, even though they know they want a VBAC. It's silly, but he never scheduled me. So I thought that was awesome because he like had complete faith that I was going to be a successful VBAC. And I went in for my 39-week appointment, and I had told him I wasn't really into cervical checks up until that point, and obviously no membrane sweeps or anything because I knew that they were super not, uh, like, they didn't really work anyways, like, too early because the baby's not, like, ready, and that just introduces bacteria and stuff like that and prom and all sorts of other issues that could potentially come about. But I did consent to, I suggested, that we do a membrane sweep at 39 weeks and six days because I had had prodromal labor for three weeks, Aww. 37 weeks. I had my first bout of false labor. I suppose you could call it. And I contracted like it, they started out two to three minutes apart, like bam. And it was, I mean, looking back, yeah, they were not real contractions. They were consistent, which was great, but they were only 30 seconds long uh, the whole time. And they fizzled out anytime I like tried to get in the bath so I, there were ways that I could get rid of them, but it went on forever. And I'll also know I didn't have a doula this time. Financially, we couldn't swing it. We have a lot of doulas, great doulas in the area, 
but we just couldn't swing it financially. And I had such a great OB. I was just very confident that it would be okay, even though I highly recommend getting a doula. That's not to say that I didn't need one. It was just a financial thing for us at the time. So I had all this prodromal labor. And finally, at 39 weeks and six days, I was like, okay, I'm okay if you check me. Like, I'd like to be checked. I'd like to see how things are going. Not that dilation means anything, but like, I would love to know what condition my cervix is in, you know, stuff like that. It was just kind of like, at that point, I was just kind of miserable <laughs> and I was willing to be checked. So he, ch- he was like, okay, if you want to be checked, he never pushed me. He said he, he would not check me until I went into labor or he would, uh, if I wanted to, he'd check me at 40 weeks. You know, he was, will- he said he would love to deliver me. So the only reason he talked induction was because he had to leave like about a week and a half after my due date. So he was like, let's schedule something for 41 if you don't go into spontaneous labor by this weekend or whatever. Um, And I was like, okay, whatever. So he checked me at 39 weeks and six days and he was like, okay, so I'm really happy with how things look. And I told him while he was up there because I had done plenty of research on it. And I know that, as I said before, like it's, it's not like, I don't know, the wisest decision to have a membrane sweep. But for me, it was, it was, just a matter of like, I really wanted this. So like I was willing to start with less like invasive measures to get things going since I had already obviously been working, my body was working towards it. So I was like, okay, well, while you're up there, (laughs) if you feel like the conditions are right for like a sweep, then I'm okay to that. I consent to that. And he was like, okay, if you're sure, are you sure you would like a sweep? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like, I think that it would be beneficial at this point. And he was like, okay, I, I agree. So he checked me and he's like, okay, great. You're already dilating. I think he said I was a two, he said I was 70% of face and that I was super soft. And he's like, so the cervix can be like hard, medium or soft and you're super soft. So that's great news. So he swept me and it hurt. It was really uncomfortable, but I was like, okay, we'll see if this works. Not a big deal if it doesn't, it doesn't always work. You know, I'm already having all this false prodromal labor. I'm exhausted. I'm just ready to go into labor. And if this will help things along to avoid a C-section, then I'm okay with it. So he said, go home and pump with your breast pump for 10 minutes on each side. If you start having contractions again, not just willy nilly, just he's like, if you start having contractions, do it again and see if you can encourage them to continue because I know you're tired and this breast stimulation is statistically like the most, the best way to get things going, I guess. And I had read in a lot of birthing books that nipple stimulation was like one of the uh, more successful ways to help things progress. I've definitely seen it work. That's for sure. Yeah. Especially after a strip, actually. Oh, really? I've seen I've seen people like get their membranes swept and then go home and pump and do that schedule that your doctor said 10 mm-hmm. or 15 minutes on and then they go sometimes into labor. But I truly believe it's if your body's ready, it will go, right? They exactly. And I felt like my body was definitely ready. So when I went home, I didn't even like really, I even considered like not pumping, even though he was like, yeah, you can go home and pump. And I had kind of been waiting for him to okay that for me because a lot of my sister, my sisters were like, oh, like if you're super uncomfortable, you can pump. And I was like, oh, I don't, I really don't want to like push this baby out. Like, I don't want to force them, you know, if like they're not ready. What if I like start something? And I guess with the membrane sweep, you totally can start something that's not ready. I will just throw that out there. So like I said, it was a decision that I had made for myself at the time. And I felt like it was right. I just went with my gut on it. So when I got home, I did pump. My husband fell asleep because he had to work later in the night. And my daughter was down for a nap. So I I sat on my birthing ball, which by the way, I did red raspberry leaf tea. I walked a bunch. I did squats, just natural stuff, like very natural stuff to prep my body. And I did a lot of prenatal yoga, which made my body feel really amazing. I feel like it really did help me in the birthing process in long run. So I was on my ball bouncing away like I had been for a couple of weeks now and I was watching TV and pumping and seven minutes into pumping and I got a good bit of colostrum out, which was awesome. I ended up giving it to my sick toddler that day actually. And I felt this kicking sensation, but it felt more like a pop in my right side. And I was like, oh, 
And I like stood up because I like knew, I don't know why, but I like knew it was my water, even though I like wasn't hundred percent sure. I was just like, oh, my water broke. And I, my husband like leapt out of bed. He was like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like he was dead asleep. <laughs> <laughs> my water broke. And I was like, yeah, because I stood up. And of course I felt like, I mean, I know for some people it's a leak, but for me it was a gush, 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 like continual gush for the rest of my labor. But yeah. So I was like waddled over to the toilet. I was like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? My OB said he was totally comfortable with me laboring at home as long as possible, which is so funny because I totally did not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My water broke and my contractions. Well, the thing is my water broke during a contraction because that morning I actually felt like my contractions were different. And a lot of people told me that they're like, you'll know, you'll know that they're different. They'll feel different when they're the real thing. And I was like, okay, whatever. So when I went in for my sweep and I cramped after I was still having contractions from prior to my appointment, even it's like they kicked them into high gear. And so when I got home, I was cramping and the menstrual cramping and I had started having stronger contractions. I was like, okay, it might be useful to pump. So that's why I pumped. And then during a contraction while I was pumping, my water broke, which I was happy that I was already contracting. And sure enough, as soon as my water broke, they were perfectly consistent, like three to five minutes apart every time. And they were actually already painful. So I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'm so glad that like I was already contracting because I know that it can be hard when your water breaks and then like nothing's happening and you have to, you're like, oh my gosh, that's stressful if you're not contracting. Mm -hmm. So I was really happy about that. And then I ended up waiting it out for two hours. My water broke around 1230. And then at 2.30, I had my friend Peyton come over and to watch my daughter. And she's my neighbor, another military wife. And she came over. She's like, oh, I'll come right now. And she was really like sweet and like ready, just ready to help. So she came over and we left her the hospital because I was like, I feel like they're already pretty consistent and they're kind of painful and I can't talk through them anymore. That's how I felt early on, which is super hilarious because boy, did I not know what was coming. Um, we get to the hospital and I like shared my natural birth plan with the nurses, told them all of my desires and wishes. And they were like, okay, super supportive of everything. They did like a hep lock, but I asked for no IVs. I asked for like, you know, wireless monitoring. They did say some silly stuff like, oh, we have to monitor you 24 seven because you're a prior C-section. And I was like, I don't think you have to, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> So they did the wireless monitor, which is awesome, by the way. If your hospital offers wireless monitoring, definitely do it because I could not labor in bed in the beginning. Like, that's just horrible. They were getting strong, but I didn't have back labor, so I knew she was in a pretty good position because between contractions, I was, like, perfectly fine. I could have a conversation, and then a contraction would start, and I just, like, went inside of myself and, like, wanted everybody to shut up. So (laughs) I probably labored for – I told them, like, I want very minimal – intervention like please don't check me like so the nurses like left me alone they're like okay like just tell us when you need us call us when you need us and they came in periodically to like check my monitoring and stuff but not to bother me like just to make sure the monitor was working and stuff and probably eight hours they left me to labor by myself I think they checked me upon check-in yeah I did get checked and I was still a two from that morning so I didn't think that was discouraging at all but she was like you're still a two and I was like okay that's all right. Like, it's okay. We got time. We're going to get this baby out. So I labored for eight hours and it was around six o'clock. Things got super intense. And that's what I say. I thought it was funny that they were intense earlier because then I was just like roaring through these contractions. And I really did want to avoid getting an epidural because I know that for some people it can really hinder their progress. So I was really kind of worried about that. So I just wanted to go as natural as possible. Um, My husband would rub my back between contractions, which was really, really helpful. I would labor on their birthing ball. I walked around a little bit. What was really helpful was to like lean over the bed. It was like propped up and I leaned over it on all fours. I remember laboring like that for probably a good like two or three hours. And it was so, I mean, that whole labor floor heard me roaring. I was just super loud and it was so, so painful. I did not take myself as like loud person but I definitely was and I just remember getting so exhausted like I was laboring and holding all my tension in my hips like my hips and my thighs they were just like so tense and I know that you're supposed to let you know really let go I did hypnobirthing or like hypnobabies and like I just tried a lot of stuff beforehand to really prep for you know like relax and let go and like it's a wave and let the wave wash over you 
oh my gosh, when you're in it, it's so much harder to apply those things. So I got so, so tired. I remember it was probably, I want to say 10 or 11 at night because mind you, my water broke at 1230. So this is almost 12 hours later that I've been laboring and I'm just super like, oh my gosh, just exhausted. So I was like, okay, babe, I need like the nurse to come in and check me. Like I am dying. I felt like I was transitioning because I had started to shake. I was shaking and I felt like I was going to throw up during every contraction. So I was like, oh my gosh, this is what they describe when they describe transition. So when I had the nurse check me, she was like, oh, okay, you're about a five or a six. And I was like, what? That's why cervical mm-hmm. checks suck. They're, they're <laughs> just an emotional game. <laughs> they are. Like they really game. are. But I was like, so like this is and that's why they suck because I was like, there's no way I can do this without an epidural for another five centimeters or six, four centimeters. So I was like convinced I was like an eight, you know, between a seven and a 10 because I felt like I was transitioning that whole time. It was awful. So I did actually opt for the epidural. Um, I feel like totally if I had a doula, no way I wouldn't have gotten an epidural. And that's why doulas are so great. But for my situation, I felt right at the time. I made the decision to get the epidural. I told my husband not to let me get it. But, you know, husbands are not very. (laughs) They just want to help you in that moment. Yes, exactly. And he probably just didn't want to see me in pain anymore. So he did bite me a little on it. He's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Like, do you want to try something else first? And I was like, no, I don't want to feel drunk and still in pain, you know, like, just give me the good stuff. <laughs> so I got the epidural around 12 or one. And I remember they, pla- she checked me and I was a six and then they placed the epidural and I jumped right to an eight. So I felt like it really did. And I had heard stories like this as well. Like I really did feel like it helped me relax. Yeah. And your so- body needed help relaxing. Yep, it, did, and I- it happened. And it just makes sense, right? Because I was so tense during that ECV. I could not just let go and let him turn her. Also, my OB mentioned that it's kind of odd that he didn't give me an epidural. And he, my OB here in New Mexico, did not consider that a successful ECV because it wasn't done properly. In his opinion, he said, I would have given you an epidural and that would have been a lot more successful for an ECV. And he's done a lot of ECVs. He's very well versed in them. And actually, funny enough, he's very young. He just, he's only been practicing for six years and like he has nothing but good reviews. Like all of the military wives here just raved about him. And like, I obviously rave about him and sing his praises all all over the place. We were super sad to see him go because I have so many pregnant friends here too. So yeah, uh, the epidural really helped me relax. I jumped right to an eight and I didn't get to rest because I liked this about the epidural it still, I could still feel my contractions. It was a lot less painful, but I felt the pressure of every single contraction. Because obviously by the time you're an eight, you're getting pretty close. There's a lot of pressure down there already. So every contraction was super intense still in that way that I felt all that pressure. So an hour later, she checks me and I'm a nine. And then an hour an hour or two after that, it's like three, four in the morning. She checks me and I just have a little bit of a lip left, like little cervical lip. She's like, okay, like we just have to let that come away and then we're ready to push. So I remember she checked me and I was complete at I like 4 a.m. Yeah, it was 4 a.m. And then my doctor came in and he was, I was doing practice pushes with the, with the nurse and she was like, oh, you're not going to push for long at all. Boy, did I wish she never said that because I ended up pushing for three hours, which I guess is, oh, can yeah. be, I know it can be normal for your first birth, they say, but I know that there were a lot of things working against me. I know I was on my back because of the epidural. That's not a very natural position to be birthing in. I knew I wanted to birth in a different position and I probably should have spoke up and been like, can you hold me so I can just push in a different position? I know it's possible, but it was okay. It's fine. But yeah, I, I remember he just kept walking out of the room, which is super discouraging when you're pushing because you're like, okay, obviously my baby's not coming out because you're leaving. <laughs> but he had to walk in and out because there were a couple of other people giving birth on the floor and they were giving birth before me, which was super discouraging to hear their babies cry. And we've been pushing the same amount of time, you know, but I just pressed on and I was so exhausted. 19 hours of labor. I was just like, she's never going to come out or he, uh, I didn't even know who the baby was. I was like, is the baby ever going to come out? I kept asking him that. I was like, is the baby going to come out? Is the baby going to come out? 
he was like, yes, the baby's going to come out. You're doing great. Anytime now, like you're doing great. You're getting so, so close. And it actually turned out that she was, I think I wrote it down. He said that he, I saw him whisper to the nurse that she was OA, but like in a bad way, like OAP or something, occipit anterior position or something like that. She was facing my right hip. Oh, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. So she was facing like my right hip and she was kind of having a hard time, like coming up and under my pelvis. So that's why I pushed for so long. So she was just like having hard, you know, how babies naturally turn when they come out and their head turns as you, as they are born. She wasn't turning. She was just kind of like stuck in that position, I guess, not stuck, but just very slow coming out. So I was pushing, pushing, pushing for so long. And I remember this probably was my only concern about this doctor at all, but not, not even a concern. But I remember, I think he used this to like motivate me. He's like, you're doing amazing. You can do this. And I thought this was going to turn into a C-section this whole time. I was like, oh my gosh, I put in all this work. I'm going to end up with another C-section. And he was like, no, you can do it. You can do it. He's like, you know, there's only one real reason to use other things. Like he, he mentioned forceps, but not like on me, but he was like, we only do that when like women have been pushing for five plus hours and like, you know, it does help, but there's like risks with it and stuff. And so I like heard forceps and I like pushed with everything I had. I was just like, no way. So I pushed and I mean, three hours later, I remember I just, her head came out and the rest of her body like fell out <laughs> because I had just been pushing for so long, which is great because I didn't tear it all or I tore a little, but like very minor. So that was nice that she was born so slow because of that, you know, she didn't come too fast or anything. So she came out and I remember he was like, I remember feeling the ring of fire because my epidural had worn off by now three hours pushing. I mean, I had the epidural place for too long and it had worn off. So when I finally felt her head coming out, I did because I just remember feeling like she's never going to come out. They're never going to come out. And then I felt the head coming out and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And they were like, push, push, push. I pushed her out. Her body fell out. They put her on my chest. There's nothing in the world that matches the feeling that I felt when they placed her there. It was so different from my first birth. I just felt that concoction of hormones that everybody raves about. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, I did it. I think I just was yelling, I did it, I did it, I did it over and over again, which I've heard everyone does that too. It's just natural. That was totally uh, me, my first feedback too. <laughs> Could not <laughs> shut me up. <laughs> I know. I was just so stoked. I was like, I did it. And he was just so Oh my gosh, he was such a cheerleader, my OB, and so was my husband, and the nurses were so amazing, and yeah, I just, I'm so much happier this time around postpartum, I'm so much more even keeled, like I just feel like I'm not having any of that, that disconnection I felt with my first, and that was something I really had a hard time talking about, because I didn't want to sound like I didn't love my first baby for the first year, but it was super hard bonding with her, and I totally believe like a C-section had a lot to do with it, so just being able to bond like right away with this baby was the most amazing thing that was like the finish line goal you know like it was just it was incredible I remember just crying out what tears weren't even coming out of my eyes but I was just crying sobbing when they placed her on me and it was kind of cool because I wasn't even surprised she was a girl my husband's like it's a girl and I was just like it was her all along you know like it was Emma this whole time so yeah, that's my birth story. Sorry, it was so long-winded, but it was just such a night and day Aww, difference. German, that's sweet. German birth, yeah, and my my American birth over here in the rural New Mexico area, but it was so mm-hmm. so awesome, and I can't thank you guys enough for preparing me so much for that birth and just giving me all the knowledge and your all of your resources and all the wonderful women who've gotten on here to talk about their births. It was just such a huge help. Oh, well, well thank you're you. welcome and thank you. <laughs> thank you for <laughs> no supporting us and following and I'm sure you're, you know, you're inspiring people right now and I'm sure, you know, sharing on the, in the community and all those things. I'm sure you've inspired a lot of people. So thank you. Oh, good. I'm glad. Yeah. Yep. Thank you I, so I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> I know that sometimes um, we have listeners from all over the world and every country kind of views VBAC and cesarean a little bit differently and their birthing practices um, actually very drastically. 
And so um, we have doulas in the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia and um, mm-hmm. Kuwait, and they can they cannot be in the hospital with a birthing person. They can only provide digital support there. Like it's just illegal for them to be there. So these doulas have to support parents in early labor. And VBAC is like incredibly looked down upon and uncommon. And so we have these doulas advocating for big changes over there. And then we have countries where um, midwives attend all births unless there's an an emergency or something critical. Like um, in England, the midwives all like work back and forth between home birth and the hospital and birth centers. And um, and it's great experience. And I think the most important thing about no matter where in the world you are birthing is that you know what your options are based on your particular area. You know what the attitude is surrounding VBAC and cesarean in your area. And you know the facts about VBAC. And then with all of that information, let your intuition guide your decision. And so um, in Germany, very different experience. My sister said the same thing. My sister's hospital actually made her there at their hospital. Their policy was you don't get an epidural unless you had ordered one beforehand. Like they exactly have to like make a note in your chart if they, you want an epidural brought in. Wow. And she was, yeah, she was really mad about that um, and just screaming around and she was single at the time. And so she was just alone and being a crazy American lady pissed off because she didn't have her epidural right away and they ended up getting, getting her one. But yeah, it can be very, very different, especially as um, military families, you know, you're like you said, your two births were very different even in your prenatal care. And so it's mm-hmm. really important that that you know what's going on in your community surrounding birth and VBAC and cesarean. And you can find out more about that. There's like ICANN chapters. We have doulas all over the world in, I think, like eight or nine different countries right now, which actually isn't all over the world because there's lots more countries than that. But we're slowly growing and building. I just sent a packet out to the Netherlands last week. And so we're going to have doulas there soon. And it's just very, very important that you know what you're up against because that's probably the biggest thing that will impact your chances of having the birth that you want is just knowing. Oh, yeah. Knowledge is power for sure in in this instance. Yep. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We had a lot of things in common, so it's fun to talk and chit-chat a little bit, especially before. And thanks for spending your evening with us. Oh, thank you, guys. I can't wait to uh, hear more of your podcasts, and I definitely want to follow along in the community for years to come. So thank you so much. Oh, thank Thank you so much. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.